Hey everyone, welcome into the latest edition of the Postcast, production of the Casper Star Tribune and Pokes Authority. I am Davis Potter, Wyoming beat writer for the Star Tribune, and I'm joined, as always, by our managing editor and uh, former Wyoming beat Nick Brandon Foster. Uh, Brandon, happy 100th, my man. Yeah, I uh, just realized I forgot to bring my air horn, um, so that would have been, been the moment right there, but yeah, who uh, whoever thought we would make it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I can't take full credit for this because I was not around when the Postcast was created. I have to give give you and our uh, our <laughs> other uh, former coworker Brady Oltman's the uh, the credit on getting it started. But uh, yeah, we've we've made it. It's hard to believe we're we've reached triple digits now. Yeah, I looked it up. I think it was August thirtieth, twenty seventeen, uh, the first episode. Um, so hard hard to believe it's. Still going, but you know, credit to you, uh, keeping it keeping it rolling, and um, you know, I think just a a quick sort of behind the scenes on like the origin of the Pokescast is, you know, we we started this a, a little bit at like the urging of some people higher up the food chain who wanted us yeah. to, you know, get some some podcasts going. Uh, it's been a long time since those people have been with the the star tribune so all, all that to say it's uh, uh very much a labor of love now you know i think we <laughs> just we do it for the for the listeners it's not a not anybody making us do it anymore not to say that they were 100 percent making us do it but um it's definitely something uh credit to you you know editing it every week i uh don't miss that at all um but uh yeah. it's something uh we we do for the readers so um i'm, I'm glad to see that it's uh alive and, and thriving yeah I'll, ju- I'll just go ahead and admit that the editing sucks I, I, I hate <laughs> it. but uh no but yeah we should should mention too um you know as you alluded to this this isn't possible um without all of all of you guys listening so we do appreciate um our our digital audience so to speak and and listen to this and uh, our, our readers that may listen to and subscribers um Thank you guys so much because, like I said, the, you, you're the reason that we do this, and um, I know you guys want to want to listen to, uh, and hear about what's going on with uh, with your Wall and Cowboys. So, um, yeah, we're, I'm I'm happy to to do this, and and you guys make that possible. So again, thank you very much. But um, Brandon, speaking of that, uh, I guess the the way I sort of decided to to celebrate this 100th episode is getting um, some of our Wyoming fans or some of our listeners and subscribers involved via Twitter. Um, I uh, asked you guys to, to send in any questions that you guys might have pertaining to football, men's basketball, really any any uh, Wyoming athletics uh, in general. And um, so some of you guys responded. And uh, so we will we'll go through your questions and we will – we will answer them if we can. If not, we'll, we'll, we'll at least discuss, um, you know, some parameters around the question. But uh, we'll try to answer them to the best of our abilities. But, uh, Brandon, first of all, I just wanted to start this off by saying uh, – or start with the, the depth chart, I guess, the post-spring depth chart that Craig Bull said they were going to be releasing probably sometime um, you know, within the week after the spring game, yet they still have not released anything officially – um, but I mean, I, I don't think there's going to be any major surprises on there. I mean, look, the, everybody knows what this Wyoming team is and the personnel. I mean, to have so many people back, um, there's just not a whole lot of positions up for grabs, even though I, Craig Bowl and, and the staff talked about this spring, uh, technically all the 
all the positions were, were open for competition. Um, I mean, <laughs> anybody that's followed this team over the last year or two uh, and knows what's what all's coming back, um, I mean, y- 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 there's no secret as to who's going to be at the top of, the, of this depth chart a lot of places. Uh, but obviously the the position that's under the uh, the microscope the, the most is uh, is quarterback, and I still think Sean Chambers is going to be listed as the starter um, going into the summer whenever they do decide to release this depth chart. You know, I think I said last on last week's episode that, uh, you know, unless Levi Williams was, was just head and shoulders above Sean in, in terms of his passing and his accuracy this spring, uh, I still think Sean with, you know, with his, the, the, the dimension that he brings with his legs, I just think it's, it's too much to ignore. So if, I mean, if they're somewhat equal in, in terms of passing, I think Sean still has a leg up in, in, in that competition. I, I think he'll be listed as your QB one um, going into fall camp. Now I, I do think this thing is close enough to where uh, the competition will continue into the fall. So I, I don't think anything is going to be officially determined until, you know, whichever quarterback runs out there with the first-team offense for that opening snap against Montana State. Um, that's just sort of my gut feeling on it. Um, uh, you know, just going off what, what Craig Bowl has said and just sort of reading uh, between the lines this spring. But um, another position that you know, I think unexpectedly uh, became heated in terms of the competition was that outside linebacker spot with Charles Hicks and Easton Gibbs. Uh, I still think Chuck's going to be uh, your number one linebacker, outside linebacker going in into the fall. But I think that's a very similar situation to what they had back in 2019 at the linebacker position where you had Logan and Cash where obviously you're your, your top two linebackers, and then Chad Mumafield in as the number three, sort of as the, the backup at both of those spots. I think that's what you're going to see this fall um, it, with Chad Muma now being the starter at middle linebacker, Chuck Hicks on the outside, and I think Easton Gibbs is going to be your number three guy that can sort of back up at both of those spots and fill in where he's needed because, you know, anytime that we mention, um, and I want to say we, I mean the media, uh, you know, asked Craig or any of the coaches – about the linebacker position this spring, you know, not one time did they mention a specific backup at middle linebacker. You know, it was always, well, you know, these are our top three guys in Chad, Chuck, and Easton. And, and so I, I think that those three have clearly separated themselves um, from the rest of the pack. You know, I, I do wonder, maybe you get into fall camp, if maybe they want to actually get a designated backup uh, at number two at the middle linebacker spot behind Chad. But um, sounds like right now, you know, Easton's sort of going to be that that guy that can uh, that tweener that can maybe go inside or out and, and like I said, fill in wherever he needs. But um, you know, you look at some other spots. I mean, Aiden Everhart's going to be your your punt returner. Uh, Craig Bull said that at, toward the end of the spring. Um, Titus Swin um, may be involved at, at kick returner, um, though he didn't return any kicks. Uh, you know, during the spring game, I think they wanted to get a look at some other guys. But um, you know, all in all, I mean. I, I, like I said, I just don't think there's going to be that much entry. And I probably wouldn't read too much into the depth chart, uh, even, even when they do release it post-frame, because I think there's going to be some things they still have to figure out come the fall. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kudos to you for having um, an answer on what the depth chart's going to look like, considering you haven't uh, seen anyone in person down there in, what, a year and a half at this point, and yeah. uh, aren't seeing a whole lot of, of on-field stuff. So, um, yeah, I... Uh, I I'm loath to like do too much more quarterback tea leave reading at this point. I feel like we've exhausted yeah. that, but um, just thinking back on the um, the last quarterback competition at UW that I covered in 2018 between 
uh, Vanderwall and, and Nick Smith. Um, I think they did name Tyler at the end of spring to be the starter, but then they said in the fall again it was still kind of open competition, and then Tyler kept the job, and I think he was always the favorite from the jump, um, although a little bit different circumstance with Nick being the more veteran player there. And I think, uh, you know, at this point, uh, Sean, like you said, is is the favorite. So, um, but, you know, all that to say, if, if they are going to uh, make a move, then it very well could come now as far, uh, in, instead of in the fall, even though I think, as you mentioned, they indicated that, you know, the competition will continue. But uh, it, it's possible that this is when we'll we'll get our real answer. Yeah, and, and I just want to reiterate this real quick and then move on because, like you said, we have, we've this is sort of beating a dead horse at this point. I mean, we've we've talked about the quarterback competition at ad nauseum, but um, yeah, I do think again, it, I think there may be more of an emphasis on who's the more consistent passer because you know what both of those guys can do running the ball. Um, that that's no secret anymore. So I think it, it may come down to hey, you know, we we go into go into fall and, and, and you sort of do this spring thing all over again, you know? Um, now obviously you'll get more practices. I mean, they only had 15 in the spring and you'll get, you know, 20 plus in the fall before you uh, play your first game. So, you know, I, I think again, I think, you know, the passing game, I think is going to, is the emphasis is going to be the emphasis again, uh, come this fall. And if somebody clearly separates themselves, if Levi were to significantly separate himself in that competition, I wouldn't be shocked to see him take the, the first snap with, with the offense uh, in that first game against Montana State, but um, again, I, I think it would have he would have to be significantly uh, better than Sean uh, in terms of the passing game and, and, and the accuracy in order for that to happen. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And once they do release that spring depth chart, post spring depth chart, I should say, you know, if they release it at this point, we'll uh, we'll have you covered um, at uh, trib.com and postauthority.com. But uh, Brandon, let's go ahead and. Uh, so get into some of these questions um, that I got on Twitter, uh, and I'll just we'll go through them one by one, um, just as they're as they are showing up on my um, in my mentions. But the first one, let's see, comes from Matthew Kigley or Quigley. Matthew, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, but um, the question is, how thick do you think my rose-colored glasses are when I say maybe Bull's process is so old school that the quote-unquote building process he promised on day one is just coming to full fruition and that we may have been impatient up till this point 2016 being the fluke outlier perfect storm um brandon do you want to do you want to start with this or, or do you want me to start with it um doesn't matter to me but, uh well, yeah. you're welcome to i probably have more thoughts on this one than any other question we've got so if you want to jump in and then I can uh, pile on okay. afterwards. All right. Um, well, first of all, Matthew, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, this is, it, it's interesting because I think this is sort of a product of just what, what has happened over the last three years, particularly offensively. Um, because when you do something for so long, and, and again, th- this even goes back to, you know, Craig Bowles partnership with Brent Vegan. But when you do something for so long and it, it generally works more times than it doesn't. And look, they you could say what you want to about the, the lack of, of productivity in the passing game and the lack of balance. But him and Brent Vegan, that you know, they recruited and, and developed um, two first round draft picks at quarterback and Carson Wentz and and Josh Allen. And um, you know, when you do that and you have that kind of success, and you're at a place at Wyoming where you have four straight bowl eligible seasons 
which you know is a level of sustained success that this program has not had a whole lot when you go back and look at the history of it. Um, you know, sometimes you can get complacent. Sometimes you can, it's easy to sit there and say, well, there's really no pressure on us right now. So what we're doing is working for the most part. And, and there's really no incentive, um, to change things up when things are generally as working as well as they have been, um, just historically, when you talk about, um, Craig Bowl and Brent Vegan and what they've been able to do, not only, uh, you know, with their, the offensive production that they've had for the most part. Um, at their time at Wyoming, North Dakota State, but also the development of the quarterback position specifically. But I, I also like to, when, when I talk about, you know, particularly with the offense, I always like to go back to Nick Saban about 10 years ago. It was around 2012, 2013. And, you know, that was when Gus Malzahn brought in the, that his hurry-up, no-huddle offense to Auburn, as first the OC, then the head coach. You had some other coaches in the SEC running this the up the up tempo no huddle offense uh, that was I mean that was like the fad in college football 10, 12 years ago and Nick Saban you know he's him and, and Brett Bielema when he was the head coach at Arkansas at the time um, they're both head coaches in the SEC together you know they complained about the the hurry up no huddle offenses and you know started making these excuses about well is it really safe for players and uh, you know, is it safe for the defense, you know, for, for offenses to be going this fast? And, you know, you're going to tire guys out and all this stuff. And at a certain point, though, um, you know, when he saw when, – when Auburn and, and, you know, would beat Nick Saban and, and Alabama and you had Hugh Freeze doing the same thing at Ole Miss, uh, you know, they beat Nick Saban twice. I think it was twice in a three-year span. Um, you know, it, he saw that how effective it was. And eventually he said, you know what? You know, if, if I can't beat him, join him, essentially, and, and, and changed his offense. Um, I don't think anything drastically, but he de- evolved more with the times. And it, it's crazy to think where you know Alabama's offense was back in 2009, 2010, um, compared to what it has become here in 2021. I mean, you can argue that Alabama's become wide receiver U almost. I mean, you think about the receivers that Alabama's put in the league and the All-Americans they've had, uh, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, uh, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, Devontae Smith, who just won the Heisman, um, you know, uh, Jalen Waddell. I mean, it's crazy to, to think what that offense has become and what he's developed it into over time, seeing what the, the trends, offensive trends in college football, the way they were going, and credit to him for adjusting to the times. And I think there's a, there comes a point in time, uh, and particularly getting back to Wyoming and in Craig Bowles' case, um, you know, you can't sit there and have a one-dimensional offense that has zero plan B when the better defenses that you go up against uh, stop what, what you do well. And that's obviously the running game for Wyoming. Uh, and if you're serious about being a Mountain West championship contender, you know you have to do something. You can't sit there and continue to have completion percentages in the 40s. Like at some point, you've got to you know take a step back, look at yourself, and say, okay, what are we doing? How do we evolve this thing to where we can be a dynamic, well balanced offense while not necessarily getting away uh, from our, our identity of being a tough, hard nosed football team and you know, we'll see what this fall looks like. Again, it's, you know, there's no way to really know what, what all this is going to look like and what it's going to look like against real competition until they go out there and play games in the fall. But I think this this 
I don't know if it's necessarily, you know, Craig Bull just taking forever to get with the times. I, I think it's, you, he had to be shown something, right? Like he had to be shown, okay, this isn't working nearly as well as we need it to. We've got to do something. And, and it's a lot easier to sort of reflect and look back when you're coming off a third straight season where you had a completion percentage in the 40s and you had a losing record, right? I mean, you know, that, that'll shake any coach because uh, nobody wants to have a losing record. And, and anytime you do that, I, I think it sort of gets you in motion quicker in terms of reflecting on what you're doing and any changes that you want to make. Um, I think that can be the sort of uh, a catalyst that, that you've never had before, particularly when you're coming off uh, those four straight bowl eligible seasons and all of a sudden you're on the other end of the spectrum after last season uh, with a two and four record. And I know that the pandemic obviously played into that and, and you had a lot shortened season, but they probably would have had a losing record over the course of 12 games, just, you know, with the, the injuries that they had at quarterback. But um, so I think that's a very long winded way of saying that, you know, I think he was just sort of, you know, shocked into, into sort of, you know, adjusting more with the times now. And uh, I think it's very interesting to think about uh, if Brent Vegan hadn't left and created a natural opening at OC, would he have made a change? Mm-hmm. Would Brent Vegan still be here? I think that, that's that's the interesting question to me, and I I don't know. I mean, I tend to think that he wouldn't have made a change. Um, I think Craig Bowl is very loyal to his assistants, and you could certainly argue that maybe he's loyal to a fault. But regardless, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. They had an OC opening. He made a and credit to Craig Bowl. I think he brought in someone. Uh, with the intention of, of, like he likes to say, um, you know, re-engineering what they're doing offensively. And and, and it's a lot easier, and, and it gets your attention quicker when you have the kind of season that they did and you've had the sort of lack of productivity uh, that you've had in the passing game the last handful of years. Yeah. Um, well, I think with Nick Saban, maybe it was less if uh... – if you can't beat him, join him, and more. If you can't beat him, ten times out of ten, join him. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, I think that's a, um, a a good comparison. I I think this question touches on you know kind of a pet theory I have with I think coaches in general in most sports, which is that um, I feel like teams tend to pull the trigger a little too quickly on changing regimes. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I think I don't I don't have a ton to bag this up by any means, but when I, you know, I kind of think of it like um, almost like a market inefficiency. I don't know if that's the right term, but a, a way, you know, to kind of zig when others are zagging, that type thing. I feel like there's, in, in most sports, really kind of like a three to four year window you get where you come in with a new coach. And if you're if you're not showing something by then or if you haven't had that one breakout year, it's on to the next one. And I think especially in a sport like football and especially in college, um, you know, making those changeovers that that's a time consuming process to to reestablish your to establish your own program especially if you are doing something substantially different than your predecessor which is often the case teams like to hire coaches who switch it up rather than you know someone who's going to bring in the same style and certainly was the case with bowl um so i tend to think that you know if i were a um you know an athletic director and certainly understand there's a lot of pressure behind the scenes with boosters and all that to to make make moves and, and show that you're committed to winning when things aren't going great. But I tend to think that if, if programs in general would be a little more patient that, you know, the, that that patience would pay off as when team, when coaches get longer, um, longer shots at implementing 
you know, their, their systems. Um, all that being said, you know, when you add it up, it's, it's eight years now. Um, even that would be a a lot of patience to say like, Oh, it's going to be, uh, year eight's going to be a, you know, aha moment. But, um, you know, I, I think, um, I think you touched on a lot of it with bull. I, I, it, to some extent, I think it might, uh, come down to what do you want out of your program? What do you want you know, do you want consistency or do you, you know, are, are you willing to accept a certain ceiling? Um, I think even if bowl never changed the offense, if vegan never left, if they never quite figured out the quarterback thing, um, or, you know, the passing game thing, I think you could probably rely on bowl to stick around for another decade and consistently give you teams with a good defense, a good run game and, um, you know, be bowl eligible year in, year out. And, you know, have uh, exciting upset wins here and there like the Missouri one. And, you know, I think that's it. Uh, he's done enough in his time here to kind of expect that. I think my vibe is a lot of fans aren't uh, thrilled with that idea. Um, yeah. You know, I think they want that ceiling, the idea of, you know, even if even if uh, there's maybe more inconsistency in there, I want a team to win win a conference championship. Um, and it, I think for that, you do have to have the, the, um, the passing game fixed or it, ha- it has to perform better than it has in recent years. And I think when, uh, Matthew, you know, referred to, uh, uh, you know, 06 as a pot- potential outlier, 16, you know, obviously that, or, or yeah, sorry, 16. 2016 as the outlier, you know, that's, uh, that was a year they had a great passing game because of a future NFL quarterback. And right. to some extent, 2017 too, um, you know, if Allen stays healthy, I don't think they go to the necessarily go to the title game, but, the, but they, um, you know, I think come closer than people realize. So, yeah, I think when you do have a quarterback who's able to make those explosive plays and at least be like baseline consistent, right. I know that was the critique of Allen when he was here, but, in hindsight, you know, he was more consistent than what they've gotten since as far as, you know, completion percentage and all that. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it comes down to what are you willing to live with? Uh, presumably every so often, you know, you're not going to get a Josh Allen probably, although as you point out, they also recruited Carson Wentz, but you know, every so often you, you, uh, get a quarterback who comes in and kind of can, can up your game there on his own. And, uh, you have those, years where you're going to the title game. Um, I, I think I trust that that's where this program is at. I think we've talked a lot about, you know, what does it take to take the next step? And I, I think as we've hammered home, it's very much um, a question of the pass game. So, um, yeah, I think uh, that's a, a very good question. And, and like I said, I tend to think that you should give coaches more of a chance than maybe programs to do, um, especially when you're in a – tough environment like Wyoming is as far as it's not the easiest place to recruit and all that um you know who's who's the guy you're gonna necessarily replace bull with I don't know but um yeah I uh I I think in year eight um he's not on in you know his seat's not warm at all coming off a two and four year I don't think but you know he's um I don't think he can uh have like two more losing seasons and expect to not be on the hot seat so um, I think I think he's he's shown that he feels he's putting some urgency on himself. Yeah, and back to the origin of the question too. Uh, you know, coaches have egos. Every coach has ego, right? Like, you know, because every coach 
when they're working their way up to being a head coach, they all have a background, right? And they all have mentors and people that they coached under and people they looked to um, that, that had certain styles of play. And, and Craig Bowl specifically, it was always Tom Osborne because he was a longtime assistant at Nebraska. And that was what they did. That was what they were known for. Ground and pound, physical uh, teams that, that performed at a really, really high level. I think there were some national championship teams um, that that Craig Bowl was was on the coaching staff for, and, and no coach wants to be so have to sit back and, and and be told, "Hey, look, what you're doing isn't working." I mean that that's that's sort of a a, a pride thing, right? Like that's a shot to the ego when you when you this is sort of what whatever coach it is, whatever identity they have, you know, that where they sit there and say, "Okay, you know, this thing that I've been doing for so long." Um, you know, it's not working. Or even if, if it is working to an extent, and look, obviously we've talked to Nazi about the running game, like that's not an issue. But, you know, maybe you need to tweak some things to get this to get this offense to where it lines up more with modern-day college football. Because you're not winning, like 17 to 10 games are a thing of the past. Um, and, and look, Wyoming has tried to win those games in recent years, and, you know, just look at like the last season, seventeen to nine loss, uh, and their season finale against Boise State. They didn't score an offensive touchdown. Uh, the the I think the three point loss at New Mexico, um, you know, had one offensive touchdown in that game. Like these low scoring affairs are are just they're they're so rare in college football now, where you have these offenses that are spreading it out all over the place and, and, and averaging 40, 50 points a game. I mean, you, you've got to adjust to the times and. And that's why I brought up the, the Nick Saban analogy because I, I give him credit. Now, look, was he having losing seasons? Obviously not. But there's a there's a certain standard with Nick and, and that program in Alabama. And you know, I think I think Hugh Freeze beating him a couple of times back when Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss. I think that absolutely <laughs> made Nick Saban sit back and say, "Hmm, you know, yeah, we could win eight or nine games a year and go to a bowl and be, but." People, Alabama fans aren't going to be happy with that. Like, and I don't think Nick Saban was going to be happy like that. Like, they can, they expect to contend for national championships every season. And I know that's a whole different scale than what most programs are on. I mean, Alabama and Clemson right now are sort of in a stratosphere by themselves when it comes to the the, the amount that they're winning and the expectations now. But I mean, Nick Saban's offense was getting passed over ten or twelve years ago, uh, and and I think he saw what what. Gus Malzahn and Auburn were doing, uh, and, and what Hugh Freeze was doing at Ole Miss, and I, I absolutely think that that sort of made him take a step back, maybe quicker than he might have, and say, Look, I probably need to, you know, if, if, if this is beating me, why, sh- why shouldn't I sort of adapt to this, and why shouldn't I take on some some level of, of inheriting, uh, you know, what they're doing, or adapting and, and add some elements of what they're doing offensively to what I should do. And when you're when you're recruiting this, <laughs> the kind of athletes that Nick Saban does at Alabama, if you're going to adapt to that, you can not only be as good as those teams, but be even better. And obviously that's what's plant, panned out over the last decade or so. So I think in a, in a similar way um, at, at Wyoming, they, Wyoming has not been able to beat the teams that it is uh, gunning for when you when you have to win a Mount West championship. I mean, Boise State, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, I don't think they've beat them since 2016. That. The safety game. Or before. Yeah. Um, I mean, Utah State, Air Force. Um, you know, those wins for Wyoming have been far and few between over the last three or four years. And I think Craig Bowl is not only because of 
the lack of, of production in the passing game. But to add to that, it's the fact that that's keeping them from actually being legit Mountain West championship contenders. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't think if you look up in this coming season and it's late October, early November, and Wyoming is right there atop the division standings, you know, maybe a game out. I guarantee you that their completion percentage is going to be in that at least 60 percent. Because I don't, I don't think Wyoming is going to be anywhere close to. Um, contending if it's any lower than that. And, I mean, just look at the last three years to as sort of the evidence behind that. Yeah, I think the difference, you know, the only difference between Wyoming and Alabama um, is, you know, I don't think they need, you know, I don't even know how much of it is reacting to the way the game has changed uh, and how much of it is just getting to, like, a base, even, like, average level in that passing game. I think you look at Wyoming's pass game last year, it would have looked crummy in 1994. Like, I don't think, uh, you know, I I don't think they can become whatever the Mountain West equivalent of wide receiver U is. Uh, But I also don't think they they have to, you know. I don't think, uh, I I think if they can get just sustainable, uh, okay production out of that part of the game, they've got enough going for them in the other, other facets that they can at least be a, be a contender. And, you know, with Alabama, as you mentioned, it, it, all comes back to kind of expectations, right? Like I think Alabama could still try to win every game six, three and probably go to the sec championship every other year, but that's not what, you know, Bama fans are going to put up with. Um, right. And you know, Wyoming is, is getting, or it, I think is at that point where, uh, the status quo is, is, uh, maybe not, not going to, uh, bode well as far as fans favorability of the way things are going. So, Right, yeah, and, and look, Wyoming and, and its fan base isn't going to accept losing seasons. Right. Um, you know, and, and you're at a point now, as you mentioned, eight years into this, um, you know, where Craig Bowles talked about it, players have talked about it, the expectation now, particularly when, when you have as much experience as Wyoming has coming back, is to win a Mountain West championship. That's all the players talked about this spring. Like, that is their goal. And Wyoming's not doing that without a, a much more – uh, balanced offense and much more efficient offense uh, when it comes to, to throwing the ball. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, appreciate the, the question. I know we, we spent a lot of time on that, but um, we will now move on to our next question from Evan Johnson. Um, he says, outside of the returning stars, who do you think has a breakout season on offense and defense? Uh, Evan, thanks for the question. Um, offensively, I'm going to say Trayton Welch. Um, now he, he is another guy that w- that was hyped up this spring uh, by Craig Bowl and some of the players. He's the the uh, sophomore tight end for Wyoming, and you know again, if Wyoming is serious about getting this passing game turned around, I think Trayton Welch could be a, a huge weapon for these quarterbacks, particularly in the middle of the field. Maybe some easy passes, um, you know, to sort of get in a rhythm and get those quarterbacks' confidence up, but also. One of the things that, that Craig and even some of Trayton's teammates have talked about this spring is the fact of, of how good of an athlete he is and how, how, how well he goes up and makes contested catches. And uh, that's something that we haven't seen out of any Wyoming pass catcher uh, really consistently in a long, long time. Um, you know, they've talked about his ability to go over the middle, um, you know, sort of go in between linebackers and uh, – or, or I should say behind linebackers and in front of safeties and – and make those those tough catches, and you know he, he's a guy that they think can be a matchup problem. Uh, you know, 
he was a receiver in high school. He was about 6'3", 230 pounds. So he's a guy that you could, um, you know, keep in line uh, as a blocking tight end or even, you know, split him out on the slot um, uh, and, and use him in a variety of, uh, of passing trees and passing concepts to, to uh, get him the ball if you feel like you have a, a mismatch um, that you can exploit. So that would be, for me offensively, um, he, he would be the guy I would keep an out, eye out on. And, and then defensively, I don't know if this is necessarily a breakout player because he's been a starter now for a couple of years. But Keon Blankenbaker, to me, is maybe the most underrated player on Wyoming's defense. Um, a, a really good nickelback. Um, he, he's got the size. He's got the speed for it. Um, can do a lot of different things. And honestly, he he might be their best cover guy in the in the secondary. Uh, that it gets overlooked because he, he does play that nickel position and, and plays the slot. And you know, when you think about cover guys, you obviously think about the guys on the outside. And, and they got some pretty good ones um, there with CJ Colton and Zizi Hearn. But I think is uh, Keon Blakenbaker. Um, I, I think he could have a really big year for them. Uh, and just sort of add to the dominance that Wyoming has has shown the last handful of years uh, defensively. Yeah, uh, I'll mostly defer to you on this on, on this one since you've got far more uh, intel uh, than I do. I guess the only thing I would add, I don't know if this, I, I don't think he would fall into that that uh, category of, of stars like, that I haven't mentioned. But you know, I think Titus Swen's a guy to look out for. You know, just. I think there's a lot to be said for a running back having fresh legs, uh, him not playing last year, and, you know, he obviously turned out in the spring game. So um, I'm curious to see, you know, obviously X is the big brand name in that backfield, but, um, you know, who else uh, kind of has a, an all-star season? Because I have a feeling they're going to put up some big numbers back there. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I'm just – I'm curious to, to see how they split up all the carries. Yeah. Among the, among the, I mean, you've got – because – I mean, again, that's that's one of many positions where Wyoming is is, is stacked in terms of its depth and, just, and having everybody back. Um, you know, X and Trey Smith being the top two, and then Titus, I guess, being the quote unquote number three guy. Uh, but you know, if he performs anything like he did in the spring game, and again, spring games are spring games, but yeah, um, you know, I think he's got a skill set that they can utilize that may be maybe different than any other back on the roster, just in terms of being the most complete back. Um, but I mean, I, I just don't know. I don't know if he's going to get enough carries or get enough opportunities when you've got two established guys that as long as they stay healthy are going to be your workhorses. It's certainly, at least that's the way it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I wonder exactly how many touches he's going to get this season, but yeah, he's absolutely another guy that, that, uh, you know, at least is, I think it can, has the, the talent and the ability to, to be electrifying and make the most out of. Anytime that he does touch the ball, I'm, I'm just I just wonder um, how many times he's actually going to to touch it, and, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why they they have him on, on on kick return, or at least Craig Bowles says he's a major factor as a potential kick returner. I mean, I, I wonder if that may be a way if they, if they can't get him the the, the carries necessarily that that they want to uh, offensively, maybe that's just another way to get him involved and put him back there as a kick returner and get him involved on in special teams. Um, yeah, I think. The, I, I, other players defensively, I think there are some young linemen that might could uh, sort of emerge next fall. Um, Devon Harris, uh, Jalen Pate. Now, they got a lot of playing time uh, last season with some of their other players having opted out. Um, but I, I, just, I don't know enough about it. I haven't seen 
enough of them yet. Um, the, the sample size is just so small, but they, they sort of flashed. Um, but, yeah, th- those are some players that, that, that I think could, could really emerge um, for Wyoming next season. Uh, again, Evan, thank you for the question. Um, try to move on to the next one here. My phone will, my phone will unlock. Okay, next question comes from Sidelines Wyoming. Um, actually, they sent in a couple, so we'll take them in order. Um, says, we return the best running back room in the conference, one of the top O-lines, one of the top defenses, and at the very least, talent and experience at quarterback. Is this the year that Wyoming finally ends up on top of the Mountain West? And if not, what do you think it'll take for this team to get there? Um, appreciate the question. Um, I think this one's pretty simple, and we've hit on it nauseam, but it's going to come down to quarterback play because uh, Wyoming has virtually everything else. I mean, we talked about the, the amount of experience that they have, they have back. I mean, it, it's not every year that you return your entire backfield intact. It's not every year that you return your top two quarterbacks. It's not every year that you return your entire offensive starting offensive line intact. It's n- certainly not every year that you return every defensive starter. So, and, and look, there are a lot of obviously a lot of other teams are in the same situation with with COVID last year in the NCAA granting everybody a free year of eligibility. But if you go back to 2019, this team was almost just nearly almost as experienced as as this one was. I mean, there were a lot of expectations going into the 2020 season um, until Sean Chambers and Levi Williams got hurt. Mm-hmm. And that all just sort of came to a crashing halt, obviously. I mean, there, there just wasn't a whole lot of – I mean, they were – supposed to bring back their entire offensive line in 2020, and they did. So, I mean, the the, the makeup and composition of this team, at least personnel-wise, in terms of the upcoming season, isn't much different than what they had last season. It's all about, first of all, keeping your quarterbacks healthy, which that, that is that's that is the if – you're, if you're asking uh, what's it going to take for Wyoming to legitimately compete for Matt West Championship, it's number one is keeping your quarterbacks healthy. Because, again, I mean, we've talked about any team that loses not only its starting quarterback, but both of its top two quarterbacks. I mean, it's going to be a tough road to hoe for anybody um, who does that. And, obviously, Wyoming has had the, the worst luck in terms of injuries at its quarterback position. So, got to keep them healthy, and then they've got to be effective. They've got to be productive in the passing game. And, again, I mean, if, it, if this team – does not complete somewhere around 55, 60% of its passes. Mm-hmm. I don't think it can legitimately compete for a championship. Again, this is, this is almost, this is beating a dead horse again, but I mean, you, you've got to have, you've got to have a plan B when teams take away your plan A. And look, it's great to sit there and run for 400 yards against a bad UNLV team or, you know, run for a bunch of yards against, I guess, Hawaii when they come, you know, to the mainland and play in a in, in a frozen tundra, basically that they that they never play in. Um, but what do, what do you do in when Boise State, Utah State, Air Force, some of these teams that you have to beat in your division in order to get to the Mount West Championship game? What are you doing when they take away your running game and you're not ripping off five six yards of carry? That's been the issue the last handful of years is not having um, something that you can pivot to offensively uh, you know, to, to stay on the field and to score points. Because as soon as they took away the running game, you, you were done. And, and, that, and that's got to change for them to be a legitimate conference championship contender. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if this helps or not, but I think a lot of the equation when you're saying, okay, you know, how does Wyoming get to, as, as they put it, the top of the Mountain West, I assume that means, you know, at least going to the championship game and, and when he's, you know, 
they said they said finally so yeah i guess winning it um you know i feel like the until uh you know proven otherwise boise is is the the hurdle there boise is the team you got to get past and you know there's a coaching change right now uh on the broncos right you know first year without harson i mean obviously harson continued the success uh, that the program had had before him so it's not like there's necessarily a reason to expect a huge drop off but at the end of the day you know that that's gonna be a huge factor in whether or not you get to play in that game obviously the one time they did they beat boise but um you know the <laughs> looking back on that year too you know it's it's i think important to keep in mind that how thin the margins were between them getting and, and not getting and you know the thing that that team did was win the the close games um you know it won that crazy game against Boise with the safety. They, um, you know, late comeback there. They win, you know, on a failed two-point conversion against San Diego State. They, uh, you know, if you don't win those tight ones, uh, you don't get to play in that game. So um, the the window hasn't proven to be huge for what, you know, what, uh, what does it mean for Wyoming to get in that game, let alone win it, but um you know that that year's team it's probably important to remember too it didn't have the strongest defense uh you know the underlying numbers weren't great on that unit um you know that it it forced a lot of uh you know turnovers in um you know good situations and and scored a lot on defense but overall it was not the strength of its team so if you compare this one to that you know i think you could argue that this defense is as strong as that offense was and it's you know just kind of a question now of uh, can you uh, can you get the offense roughly up to where that defense was as far as how well it performs? And, you know, that's not a perfect comparison, obviously. You know, if you have a, a, a decent offense it and puts up, you know, six touchdowns, um, I think that's diff- very different than having a great defense who's going to hold the team to 14 points. But um, I'm trying to find a way to answer this question other than just saying quarterback, I guess. Because <laughs> well, uh, that's mean, what it's going to come I down think... to. Right, yeah. I mean, that, that we're not breaking any news here. I mean, it's it, it would be one thing if you, if you looked on the defensive side of the ball, maybe and said, "Oh, they have a huge hole here." That like, I don't think they do. I think this defense has been one of the Mountain West best for the last two or three years. Um, you know, ever since they really met, they made the or Craig Bowl made the first change at DC and brought in Scotty Hazelton. Of course, you were on the beat back then, Brandon. But I mean, ever since then, they've. You know, they went from Scotty Hazelton to Jake Dickert, then Jake Dickert left, and they've gone to Jay Savell now. And, uh, I mean, the, the production hasn't dropped off. And, like I said, you return all 11 starters on defense. They should be, again, a top three defense in the Mountain West. Uh, you know what you have uh, offensively in terms of the running game. Every starter back in the offensive line, every running back back um, yeah, in the backfield. I mean, that's what this is going to come down to. Can you make – Teams respect your passing game, uh, and I should say that the, the elite teams, the, the teams that you know you're going to have to beat, and I always go back to the two, that 2019 season uh, when I was sort of talking about this because, uh, and I certainly remember, I'm sure Wyoming fans um, certainly remember, you, you, Brandon, you talked about winning the close games. They go on, they, they're, I think four of their five losses at San Diego State, at Boise State, at Utah State, at Air Force, all of those games were one-possession games where I think they averaged – well, Air Force was a one-possession game until the Falcons hit, hit them with a really long touchdown pass, I think with like two minutes to go in the game, and ended up winning like 20-6 to six or something. But for, for, I think, 58 minutes of that game, it was a one-possession game. And in those four losses, like Wyoming 
averaged like 16, 17 points a game. I mean, they didn't score more than 22 points in any of those games. It's like, you got to be able to do that, you know? And that's, again, that goes back to, like, Boise State took away their run game for the most part. San Diego State, in the second half, because I, me- I remember Wyoming actually had some pretty good success running the ball in the first half. Then San Diego State, who had I think was the top defense in Mount West that year, they adjusted Second half, Wyoming didn't do anything on the ground. Boise State was a really good defense. or I, I mean, Air Force was a really good defense, excuse me. Um, Utah State was pretty good. So, you know, those teams took away the run game, and Wyoming ha- did not have a plan B to go to. And that, that again, I mean, we've said it kind of for the billionth time, but that, that's the one thing missing from this team right now, uh, it, it, at least in terms of, of being able to show it consistently. Because, again, we don't know until they go out there this fall – we want to know what, what they look like offensively and, and if if they'll have a counterpunch to some of the, the better defenses when, when the running game isn't humming like they're used to it humming. Yeah, and I think uh, I, this I might be making this up, but I feel like it's a little tougher to rely on offenses to pull out those close wins when it's not set up as an explosive offense, right? Like that 2016 team was like, okay, we just need a, a few long passes here. We're in field goal territory we can close out the game i feel like it's a right. bigger ask to say like all right we got one more drive um we just need to string together you know 12 straight five yard runs and we're there um i mean not right. to say that they have not had explosive runs obviously they do but i think you know that's a perk of having an explosive offense through the air which which they don't really have right now so um yeah I, and i think the other you know obviously this question is is pretty optimistic about you know uh, folks, as they put it, have the best running back room in the conference, one of the top O-lines, very, you know, one of the best defenses. But I think the weird element to all this is I bet a lot of teams, or I, w- I would guess, at least in the group of five, are feeling rosy about this season just because you're used to losing so many key contributors in general from your average college football team. And, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't, a lot of teams aren't losing those players because of uh, the ability to come back. And right. I th- you do yeah. have to factor in that other teams are having that same experience right now. So um, I don't know, not to be a, a Debbie Downer, but I think, you know, there's certainly some, uh, some unknowns uh, going into as weird of a situation as this. Right. Which is all the more reason to get your offense on track, right? Cause you're going to be seeing a lot of the same players on mm. uh, from these same defenses that you have not been able to score on score against much last year or two so um even more reason to to get that find that balance and get some of that explosiveness in your in your passing game back so we'll see what happens uh but yeah i don't i don't i don't think that's a, a really complicated answer uh just considering the state of wyoming's program right now and 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 what it has coming back um you know the, the pieces that it has around its quarterbacks it just it needs whether it be quarterback the accuracy whether it be uh, consistency from receivers catching the ball—you you, got to have it. I mean, that, that's that, I think that is that is keeping Wyoming from being a legitimate conference contender. Um, moving on, Brandon. Another question from Sidelines Wyoming says, "What do you what do you think, guys like Keegan Kreider and X Xavier Valade's path to the league looks like? Those are two of the guys that I feel have the most realistic shot. But what do you think they'll have to look like this year to get a shot at being drafted?" Um, and I, and I, we've we've talked about this because I, I wrote about some of Wyoming's top draft pe- prospects um, for, for our paper a few weeks back. And you know, if you guys have not seen that, want to go check it out. You can check it out at trib.com and postauthority.com. But in, in terms of X, I don't, 
I don't. I just think he has to keep doing what he's done, uh, and I and I, I do think Tim Polisek's plan to get running backs more involved in the passing game. I think that's only going to to, to help him and help elevate his draft stock. Um, but I mean, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's been the Mount West leading or second leading rusher on a per game basis for the last two years, um, and, and he's shown that he can. He can be durable for the most part. I mean, he's had a couple injuries the last few years, but he's only missed one game because of those, if, if I remember correctly. Uh, he missed the New Mexico game last year and then came back for Boise State, uh, though he wasn't very effective. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think his skill set translates well to the NFL, and I think he's got enough experience in, in game tape and played enough at this point where where NFL teams know who, who he is. But obviously another big season as, as Wyoming's primary back if he can stay healthy is only going to boost his draft stock uh and again you know if he can go out there and catch you know 20 balls uh in addition to you know if he runs for a a thousand yards again um i mean i i don't know if there's uh anything more in terms of having to be a lot more productive than he's been because i mean he's been pretty productive the last couple years when he's been on the field and so I, I don't think there's a whole lot more that, that he needs to do other than, um, you know, just keep doing what he's doing and, and round out his game as, as much as possible in terms of being um, a three down back. Uh, you know, not only catching passes out of the backfield, but be able to hang in there as, as, a, as a pass protector, pick up blitzes, things like that. I mean, that, that's what's going to not only attract more uh, NFL teams to you if, you if you're able to be a three down back, but obviously it's going to keep you on the field more and, and get you more playing time. But I do think X is the guy that's going to be drafted. Um, I'm, I'm not an NFL, you know, draft Nick or whatever, so I'm not going to sit here and try to predict what round or anything like that. But I do think he's going to be drafted. And then in terms of Keegan Kreider, uh, think, you know, Chase Rullier when, when it comes to Keegan, a, a, a guy that's, you know, been a starter basically since his freshman year, 30-something straight starts. Um, you know, as, as, as durable as an offensive lineman as there is. Uh, I think he's a guy that could sneak into the late rounds, much like Chase did. Um, so, you know, a, a, a smart guy that plays center. Obviously, if you're, if you're playing center, um, that takes a certain level of, of, uh, of wisdom to run that position with everything that goes along with it. Um, you know, not only being sort of the anchor of the line, but, you know, calling out protections and, and getting guys where they're supposed to be and, um, you know, that there aren't many more experienced interior offensive linemen in college football than Keegan Kreider. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's, you know, if, if there are teams looking at a at a center, and, and he could also play guard. So, um, you know, team looking for that in the, in the later rounds of next year's draft, I, I think uh, Keegan is going to be a guy that's going to be on their boards at least. Yeah, and I, th- I kind of wonder with offensive linemen, I, I... – um, maybe you have better insight than me, like how much on-field tape um, and on-field production weighs into things, as opposed to you know just kind of how you're how you're built and and what they you know what they see at at the combine and all that. I mean, obviously you have yeah. to play well on the field, but you know, and and I think places like Pro Football Focus and, and uh, stuff like that, you know, maybe are evaluating um, linemen in in more. Uh, you know, tangible ways or, or ways that you can put numbers to. But at the end of the day, it's it's 
you know, not an easy position to put numbers on uh, besides, you know, how many sacks you're not giving up. Um, so I, I always wonder about that, you know, a little bit of what, what does a great season look like? You know, mostly you would think it means let's, uh, you know, stay healthy. Um, the better the offense does, obviously that helps. Uh, that was the case in, in 16 with Rulier. Um, but I, I always wonder about that with, with linemen. And then with, with X, I think it wouldn't hurt. Um, you know, he has the benefit of last year taking just under a hundred carries, but I don't think it would hurt if they do, um, share the, the workload a little bit, because if you look back to 2019, he took 247 rushes. Um, he's not going to have maybe the, uh, the number at the end of his career that worries, uh, an NFL team as far as how much mileage there is on him just by virtue of last year being a short year. And, um, you know, in 2018, he only took 71 carries. But still, I, I don't think it would hurt if he's coming off this year with, with good numbers, but not 250 carries. Um, right. And, yeah, like you said, staying healthy, I think it'll be another big one. Yeah. No, and, and going back to your, your point about uh, linemen and, and interior offensive linemen, specifically, I, I do wonder how much, you know, getting them in the room at the combine and drawing up plays and calling out, like, you know, fronts and, and maybe like the whiteboard stuff. Like, and again, going back to um, the mental aspect of the game for those guys. Cause I, I do think, I mean, yeah, the physical part of it's one thing. And, and Keegan's not a small guy. I've mentioned this before. He's not a solid off center. I mean, he's six foot three, six foot four, um, right at 290 pounds. So um, a good size player, um, particularly that position. But yeah, you, I, I think that the cerebral part of it has a lot to do uh, with the kind of interest um, that that you draw from NFL teams at that position, because uh, I mean, there's and I mentioned this before too. There's a lot that goes into playing center specifically that a lot of people just don't just don't understand. Um, watching it with the naked eye, I mean, you have to you have to call out fronts. You have to you know signal uh, where you know you think that the, the pressure is coming. Uh, if they, if, you, if they give a blitz look, maybe from the linebackers, um, sliding protections to the left or right, depending on where you think the blitz is. I mean, there's a lot of fa- there's a lot of mental things that you have to take care of as, as a center um, that that's just as as much of your game, if not more so, than the physical part of it. So, um, yeah, I mean, who knows? And it's all about fit too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it just depends on what team might need somebody in the, in the later rounds of a draft or, or what teams might need more of a uh, – of a, of a, all-purpose back like X is rather than a guy because he's not going to be a guy he's not a 230 40 pound guy that's just gonna bang it between the tackles 30 times a game I mean that, that's not who X is but it, I mean he can run it 20 times and you know get him get him you know three or four or five catches a game I mean he's a guy that can do a little bit of everything so I mean it all depends on what what a team might need so um, that yeah. could obviously increase increase someone's draft stock or or keep it where it is um, yeah and uh, but uh, side yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, I just because I, I <laughs> that that never. I hurts. feel like you know you're gonna have a little bit of a uh, you know coaches are always gonna probably have a bit of a bias towards power five programs and if if they're looking at a Mountain West kid and you know they also look at well you know they didn't even have a winning season the last couple of years I mean it's it's a minor <laughs> thing but it uh, it it wouldn't hurt I don't think <laughs> just kind of overall reputation of the program. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Alexander Madison, you know, the running back from Boise State a few years ago, he was he went pretty high to the Vi- Vikings, mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, and then obviously, well, this is a while back now, but Ryan Matthews out of Fresno, 
Um, I think he was a first-round draft pick, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, look, man, I'm, look, if there's enough scouts and eyes um, around the country that, you know, if, if you produce well enough, yeah, I mean, Power 5 is probably going to is going to be more favored just because of the, you know, the, the quote-unquote level of competition that you go up against. Um, but, I mean, it, look, if you can produce and you can play, you're going to be found. Uh, and, and you're you're gonna get a shot, Brandon. Well, we can uh, we're gonna move on to the next question, and this is actually the last question. Um, a question related to women's basketball from Shea Foster. Uh, Shea asks, "Is Coach G coming back for the final year of his contract?" Um, Shea, appreciate the question. Uh, coach G, obviously a reference to Gerald Madison, Wyoming's women's basketball coach. And this is an interesting question. I think I think it's a fair question. Um, because when Gerald Madison was promoted to take over for Joe Ligurski after Joe retired uh, a couple years back, he's only signed a three-year contract rather than uh, the five-year contract that most coaches usually get at Wyoming. And I remember um, I think Tom Berman, Wyoming's athletic director, told another former Wyoming beat, Nick Robert Gagliardi, that that was because Joe, or not Joe, but Gerald could not promise him that he would be around for five years in terms of coaching. And so now you've got Gerald entering what is now the last year of his contract at Wyoming because he's obviously been there two years now as the head coach. And to answer the question, I have not heard anything about Gerald Madison not returning next season. Um, now, I have not talked to Gerald since since the season ended. Um, and we're, I'm working on talking to some other people and, and, and asking around, but – um, I, I have not heard any indication that or anything about Gerald not returning for his third year. And you would think that, uh, you know, it, it's it's been, what, two months, two, three months since their season ended. Um, you would think if he was going to make that decision, he would have made it by now. Uh, so you can, you know, obviously get your next coach in here and, and you get him in here in time for, for summer workouts and all of that. So, I mean, I, I think Gerald is coming back. Like I said, I have not heard um, – Anything to the contrary, but um, some, definitely something we'll uh, we'll look into. I uh, am so dumb and clearly not on the UW beat anymore that I thought this question was about Mike Grant. I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't know why, uh, <laughs> what what insight they have there, but yeah, I, I'd have to think the uh, the job is is Gerald's if he wants it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... I, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> You, uh, you, you've got some, some tenure there now when you, uh, make it to the big dance, but, um, yeah, it looks like he's 62 according to Wikipedia. So, um, that's, that's an, an interesting question. And, uh, you know, I, uh, for, for Pokes fan sakes, hope, hope he's there for a little while still. Yeah. And, and also it's, it's also interesting too, because normally when a, a program, particularly like Wyoming that doesn't do it all the time. Um, goes makes an NCAA tournament appearance. Usually, you get a contract extension. You're awarded with that. And that hasn't happened yet. So, I don't know. That, it's that is a very interesting question. Uh, again, thanks for the question, Shay. Uh, but I'll uh, I'll do some uh, asking around and see if I can get something more definitive on that. But like I said, I I have not heard that uh, he will not be returning. So, um, all right. Well, that's all the questions. Again, appreciate everyone who uh, submitted questions for us to talk about. Um, made it for some good fodder on here. Um, but Brandon, I think we can go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, yeah. You got any 
Any party shots for you out of here? Um, no, I don't think so. Just uh, it's you know, cheers to another uh, another hundred episodes of the Pokescast, and um, I uh, it's it's always like I I don't know if you listen to a lot of podcasts, but I feel like you always you know uh, we'll hear shows do like hey it's our thousands today and and do something special so it's it's fun to uh to have a milestone of our own to celebrate so thank you guys for sticking with us for you know three and a half quarter years or whatever it is at this point and uh we'll uh we'll keep them coming your way yeah seconded agreed wholeheartedly with that um yeah it sucks that we're like 100 miles away so i wanted to be like in the same same place where you should like eat and cake together or something to celebrate this. I don't know. That's that's true. If you guys want to mail each of us our own cakes, <laughs> we won't we won't say no. Yeah, my favorite is cookie cake. By the way, so if anybody is th- thinking about that, what's that's yours? A good one. My favorite cake. Uh, I'm much more of a pie person. Um, okay. That said, uh, my girlfriend's birthday was this week, and a friend of ours made her a snickerdoodle cake because uh, she likes snickerdoodles and yeah. Uh, that was, that was incredible. Um, I'm being a good boyfriend and not eating the last slice that's <laughs> sitting in my fridge right now, but so, yeah, I would, yeah, well, I would eat that if he sent it to me. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a smart man. That, that, that relationship would be over. Otherwise. <laughs> um, all right. Well, quick programming note before we get out of here. Um, I don't know when we are going to have our 101st episode of the postcast cause this is, I guess, officially summer now for at least at, in my situation, um, and so me and at least I will. My schedule sort of all over the place this summer. Um, I'm obviously taking a lot of time off this summer before uh, football season starts back in August. So I don't know. We'll sort of play it by ear. Um, we'll uh, and keep you guys posted as to as to when our next episode will be, but. Um, yeah, we'll, it'll sort of be hit and miss this summer because I'll be I'll be out a lot. Uh, Brandon, I don't know if you're taking any time off this summer, but it's sort of that time of year where it's it's slower and um, you use you use some vacation time before football gets started. But yep, yeah, I can't even remember. I should know this, but how um, the schedule worked back uh, when I was on the beat if we were recording in the off season. But um, yeah, we're I guess psyching everyone out <laughs> getting them pumped up for a hundred and uh the, make make them wait but no yeah i i think uh we've probably discussed um how important the quarterback position is enough <laughs> that uh, it, it wouldn't hurt for us to have some some material to work with hey brandon did you know that the quarterback position is going to be important for wyoming this fall uh you know scoops <laughs> hashtag scoops <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll be back here and there this summer, and then we'll be back uh, full time. I guess probably end of July, early August, right when when Wyoming starts up fall camp again. But be sure to uh, check out all of our coverage at Trib.com and PokesAuthority.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PokesAuthority. You can follow me on Twitter at Davis E Potter. Give Brandon a follow on Twitter at bfoster91. Uh, this podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Omni. So be sure to subscribe, download it, give us that five-star rating. This podcast can also be found on our website at the Postcast link, which is updated every time a new episode is published. Uh, Brandon, appreciate you joining me. Uh, and as always, appreciate you guys for listening, and we will catch up with you down the road. Yeah, and a quick uh, plug for uh, former Postcast 
uh, co-host Brady Altman has has a piece in the Star Tribune this week on uh, Sidney Thorvalds and the uh, all-world runner from Rollins. Yeah, we commissioned a piece out of Brady, so there's your there's your hundredth uh, episode reunion right there.